About 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ really did die. He was in the grave for about three days, unconscious, asleep, powerless. He couldn't do anything because he was dead. But then his God and Father resurrected him to life again, immortalized Jesus, never to die, and granted him with all kinds of power and authority, authority over the angels and powers over this world to rule it. And this is God's proof that he can and he will redeem us and immortalize our bodies like he did for Jesus, his son. My name is Jim Stiles, and in this session, we will examine the power of Jesus's resurrection for us. Even now in this life, God gives us life today. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter eight at verse 10, but if Christ is in you, Although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God raised Jesus from being dead. He brought him back to life after three days in the grave. God had the power to do that. And that same power and spirit is operating today to work on our minds and develop the mind of Christ in us. And it gives life to our bodies today. It's a power that's at work within us. Jesus' resurrection is God's proof of a better future for us. God has better things in store. In Acts chapter 17, at verse 30, Paul declared, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now... He commands all people everywhere to repent because he's fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Jesus' resurrection from the dead is God's proof and reassurance that he will send Jesus back to this earth again. He's coming soon to raise the dead and judge this world, and we must be ready. This is why we get baptized into Jesus Christ. As Paul says in Romans chapter 6 at verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In baptism, we figuratively, we go down into the water and we figuratively, we die to sin. We get buried there and we leave sin buried under the water, drowned and dead. We bury it down there. That's why in the Bible, baptism is always complete immersion. Down in the water where you can bury it totally, bury sin down there. Baptism is a commitment that we make to God. Our baptism is a promise to God that we want to follow Jesus. It's not a work that saves us. We're saved by faith through the grace of God. But baptism is our response to God's gracious gift. We commit to die with Jesus Christ to sin like he did. Baptism is public. It shows others our commitment. 
Just like it did for Jesus Christ when he was baptized. He didn't even have any sins, but he still went through the process of telling everyone and telling his father he was committed to go down into that water and die to sin. And when we rise up out of the water, we are asking God to help us walk in a new way of life, like the life Jesus has when he was resurrected from the dead. That's why baptism is for mature people, people who can make commitments. It was never supposed to be for infant babies. It's about a a commitment we make to follow Jesus Christ and walk in his steps. Peter also explains in 1 Peter 3 that baptism is an appeal to God. We're asking God and pleading with him to help us. Peter makes reference to the flood that saved Noah and his family. He says in 1 Peter 3 at verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, that's like the flood, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone to heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. See, it's not like taking a bath. We don't go down into water so that we can wash dirt off our bodies. We make an appeal to God that we are committed to dying to sin and we come out of the water pleading with God for help that he will help us walk in a new way of life and he is willing to forgive us of all of our sins. He doesn't hold us guilty anymore. It's because baptism associates us with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our faith in God's love and his kindness and his mercy is expressed as we go into the waters. We make a commitment to follow in Jesus' steps, to die to sin. And this is what justifies God in forgiving our sins. This is why he can do that, for Christ's sake. It's powerful, and it motivates us to change. We really can be born again. We can, not like a baby going into the womb. I remember when Nicodemus thought that. Peter describes our new life in Jesus Christ is like coming out and being born a second time. In 1 Peter 1, at verse 3, Peter says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's a great opportunity. It's like pushing reset and we get to start over. And this time when we start our new life, we walk with Jesus Christ. We rely on his help. We have God working with us. We have angels that God sends that are helping us in our walk. We aren't doing it by ourselves and in our own strength. We must learn to live like the resurrected Jesus. God expects this. In 1 Corinthians 6, at verse 13, Paul states that food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. So in verse 18, he concludes, therefore flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. 
but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. The death and resurrection of Jesus is powerful to change our lives. It changes us. It empowers us to resist sexual immorality and to resist other sins by the power of God because of the new mind that God is growing in us. We become better people, different people that are now walking with Jesus Christ. Jesus' death and his resurrection will change us. In Romans chapter 6, Paul states that we were buried, in verse 4, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, that's his death to sin, where we refuse to give in to King Sin. Then Paul says, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, when we commit to God, he promises to change our lives. He promises to train us to be his children. And he promises that he will raise us up like he did to Jesus Christ, his son. God has the power to change our lives, to change the way we live if we let him. And he'll do it today. Jesus' resurrection has power in our lives. In Philippians chapter 3, Paul confessed that all the glory of his former life as a Pharisee was just a bunch of rubbish, so that now he might gain Christ. And in verse 9, he wanted to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, he says, that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if that by any means possible, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And that word he uses in the Greek for resurrection, it means not just to be raised, but to be raised never to go into the grave again, to have eternal life. That's what Paul was hoping for. He knew that God's power could do this in him. Jesus' resurrection was based on his faith and obedience. God generated obedience in him by developing faith in his son. It can generate that same faith leading to obedience in us if we let God train us. Let God's power work in you. From this day forward, let the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ influence your life every day. Let it influence the way we treat other people, the way we respond to things that happen in our lives. We should take up our cross daily like him and fight sin and refuse to live as slaves of King Sin. Let God's eternal way of life transform our lives as we walk with Jesus daily. In our next session, Mr. Jeff Jeleno will examine Jesus Christ today. Thank you for watching. And may God bless you to walk with Jesus Christ.
Jesus Christ was crucified about 2,000 years ago, the Bible is clear that although Jesus was God's son, he was a mortal man. He really did die. In John chapter 19, Joseph and Nicodemus asked Pilate for his body. They wrapped it in spices and linen and they placed it in a tomb for three days. In Matthew 12 at verse 38, Jesus had said, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so the Son of Man may be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jonah really was in the fish three days. And Jesus really was in the tomb for three days. Jesus was dead, or as he describes death, he was asleep, waiting for his God to raise him up to eternal life in God's family. My name is Jim Stiles, and in this session, we will look at how God resurrected and glorified Jesus. Imagine the excitement of the angels when God raised up his son. They had been waiting for over 4,000 years to have a human finally redeemed of this race and resurrected to immortality. They had worked so hard. In Acts chapter 10, at verse 39, Peter declared, And we are witnesses of all that he did, that's Jesus, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. God raised Jesus up on the third day. He gave him life again. All four Gospels record the resurrection of Jesus. This is big. It was the first time a human had ever been resurrected from the dead and given immortality, eternal life, never to die again. In the Acts of the Apostles, they mentioned the resurrection of Jesus seven times. In Acts chapter 2, Peter said, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. See, Peter says it wasn't possible because Jesus was sinless. He had never sinned. He didn't deserve to die. He was killed unjustly. But our God is just. And because of God's justice, he raised Jesus Christ from the dead and gave him immortality. You might remember in Acts chapter 4, after healing a lame man, Peter got called up before the religious leaders. And he says in verse 10, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. See, again we find God raised Jesus from the dead. It was the power of God working in Jesus Christ, 
When he had died and was dead three days in the grave, God's power resurrected him to life and gave him immortality. And now Jesus was alive again, working miracles through the apostles, actively participating in their lives. And there is salvation in no other name, only in Jesus Christ. Without God's intervention, Jesus would still be dead today. In 1 Corinthians 15 at verse 12, Paul reminds us that if Christ is proclaimed, he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. For if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. You see, Jesus is God's proof that he will raise all of his family. He will reward all his faithful children with immortality, just as he has done with Jesus. The disciples couldn't believe it. After so long with Jesus, having him teach them day after day, they still didn't catch on. They didn't understand that he would be taken and killed and the third day rise from the dead. In John chapter 20, we find that Mary went to Jesus' tomb and found that he was gone. But there were two angels still in the tomb. And in verse 13, the angel said to Mary, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Even Mary didn't expect Jesus to rise from the dead. She thought someone had came and stolen the body of Jesus or taken it. This was so hard to believe. They just couldn't catch on. In Luke chapter 24, there is a record describing two sad disciples. They were walking on the road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And Jesus came and talked with them, but they didn't know it was him. He withheld them from understanding. In verse 21 of Luke 24, they told Jesus, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. But even after hearing the report of the angels saying that he was alive, these disciples still did not believe that it had happened. It was so unbelievably amazing that someone was resurrected from the dead after all that Jesus has been through. You might remember Doubting Thomas. He's famous in John chapter 20 at verse 24. We find that recorded that now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my finger into his side, I will never believe. It was so hard to believe that God would raise Jesus to immortality. See, the problem was these disciples, they hadn't been looking for resurrection from the dead. 
They were looking for someone to come and redeem the nation of Israel from the Romans. They were all focused on the wrong thing. They were looking for that kind of redemption and salvation. But what Jesus came to do was to redeem them from their sins and not just give them a momentary salvation, but to grant them an eternal salvation of life forever in the family of God. And they missed the point. Just imagine the great joy that God had on that day, the third day, when he raised Jesus from the dead and he granted him immortality never to die again. And he invited Jesus into his immortal family in heaven. The apostle Paul says in Acts chapter 13 at verse 34 that God raised Jesus no more to return to corruption. Just imagine never getting old. Never getting sick, never feeling pain, never having your mind deteriorate as you got older, and no more weaknesses of our bodies for ourselves or our family or all of our friends. See, this same immortality that God granted Jesus, he offers it to us. We have been invited to join his immortal family forever. Don't miss out. And God, when he raised Jesus from the dead, he didn't just give him immortality. He gave Jesus tremendous power and authority. In Ephesians chapter 1 at verse 18, Paul prayed that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. God didn't just give Jesus immortality. He elevated him above all authorities, even the angels. But that same power that was working in Jesus to change his life and develop a sinless man, one who did God's will and not his own, that same power can now work in our lives. See, God highly exalted Jesus because he was always obedient, even unto death. In Philippians chapter 2 at verse 9, Paul writes, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God must have been thrilled to raise Jesus and exalt him above all other powers and authorities. And he has granted Jesus now to sit with him at his right hand and he has given him power over the nations and given him an authority to rule the world to come. We can become like Jesus. Earlier in Philippians 2 at verse 5, Paul wrote, have this mind or this attitude he's talking about among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, that was because he was born God's son, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, like Adam and Eve had, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, 
Remember like when he washed the disciples' feet? And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. You see, Jesus Christ is our pattern. He had humility and obedience first. Then he was granted power and immortality. And it's the same pattern that God puts us through. It's a training program that he runs us through in this life right now. Before being raised to power and authority, Jesus suffered, learning to be obedient by faith. He learned to trust his heavenly father in everything. In this same way, God can save us too. He can develop that same mind, that same kind of trusting faith in him that Jesus Christ had when we come to know Jesus and we walk with him and we know the power of his resurrection. In our next session, we will consider the power that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has in our lives today. Thank you for watching and may God bless you to walk with Jesus Christ. The death of Jesus has the power to improve our lives. God intends it to change the way we live, how we treat our spouse, our children, our parents, our co-workers, people at school. It affects decisions we make every day. It influences our attitude to God, to life, to people. It helps us to become more like Jesus every day. It motivates us to do God's will and not our own, just like Jesus. Let's find out about that power. My name is Jim Stiles, and in this session, we will look at how Jesus wants us to die with him to sin. Jesus really did die to sin. Remember, the Gospels emphasize his victory over sin, not the pain and the torture that Jesus went through. The Apostle Paul writes for us in Romans 6 at verse 10, for the death he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to sin and he now lives to God forever. And his death can empower us with God's help to join him in fighting our natural tendencies to sin and improve our lives. 
Jesus destroyed the devil as he died. In Hebrews chapter 2 at verse 14, Paul writes, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus fought sin every day, and he beat it. The Bible treats sin sometimes like it's an actual being, gives it personality, and sometimes it even calls it the devil, so that we'll understand the power of our enemy, the natural desires that we all have to sin. It's powerful. It can rule our lives if we let it. When Jesus died, he killed the devil that was in him, in himself. Not some supernatural being, but his own desires to sin. He never gave in. And instead, he trusted his father and he did his will. God wants us to follow in his steps. To look at the life of Jesus, what he went through, and realize this is the right way to live. The Apostle Peter writes in his letter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, at verse 20, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, and you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. Now notice how Peter says here, he committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth, and when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And by his wounds, you have been healed. See, notice in 1 Peter 2 there that if we patiently endure suffering we don't deserve, like Jesus did, we're really following in his steps. We're like walking with him, imitating his example. When people reviled him, he didn't retaliate. And that's the way we need to be too. When he suffered, he didn't threaten people. And that's something we have to practice too. Why? Because he trusted, he completely trusted that God was in control. And we are healed by his stripes. Not because he suffered in place of us or instead of us, but because we learn to patiently behave like him and we are spiritually healed. He's trying to change our lives, turn us into different people who learn to live like Jesus Christ. See, this releases us from the, the bondage of slavery to sin. We're no longer slaves. We don't have to follow our natural desires anymore. Jesus' life and death is supposed to have a huge impact on our minds and how we live. As Paul says in Romans 6 at verse 12, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness 
but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. See, Paul viewed sin as like a king and it was reigning over all of its subjects, getting them to do its will. And what God has done through Jesus Christ, through his death to sin, he has freed us from being slaves of sin so that we are free now to be slaves of God and do his will, just like Jesus Christ. It has to change the way we live now. A few verses down in Romans 6, down at verse 15, Paul says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. See, the power of the death of Jesus is that Jesus Christ can draw us from a life of slavery to sin, just doing what we want to do by nature, and it can turn us into different people who learn to follow in his steps. And we are no longer under slavery to sin, but we have been set free so that we can now serve our God and do his will and change how we live. This really should impact our lives. When we were born, we grew up doing what we wanted to do. And sometimes those were really bad things. They were evil. But we can't do that anymore because we are now slaves of God. In 1 Corinthians 6 at verse 9, Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, these believers, they used to behave in really bad ways, doing what they wanted to do, seeking their own will, not God's. But the power of the life of Jesus changed how they live. And it can change us too. It can turn us into those who walk in the steps of Jesus. You see, we've been set free to let Jesus come into our lives and help us learn to live like him. Later in Romans chapter 8 at verse 9, Paul wrote, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus Christ can live in us. His spirit or his mind, his attitude can come into our minds if we let him. He can grow a new mind in us where we don't just serve ourselves anymore and do what we want to do, but we learn to be like Jesus Christ, serving others, following in his steps, serving our God and helping other people. It changes how we live every day and it improves our lives. We really can be crucified with Jesus Christ. Not literally, I'm put up on a pole and crucified the way he was, but we can be crucified with him in how we live, putting king's sin to death by doing God's will, not our own, just like Jesus did. See, the apostle Paul left behind his former life when he was converted. And he writes in Galatians chapter 2 at verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul let Jesus into him to take over his life. And we can too. We don't have to live for ourselves, but we can live for Jesus because of what he's done for us. God has set us free. Now, it won't be perfect now in this life, we're still going to make many mistakes and commit sins. In 1 John 1, in verse 8, John states, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. We still sin daily. I still fight with this myself, trying to live like Jesus Christ, following in his steps. But my body, my nature wants to do things that are wrong. And I still at times lash out. I think things that are wrong. I say things that are bad. But the great news is, when we're trying to fight sin, when we join Christ in his war on sin, God can justly forgive us of those sins. God just wants us to be engaged in the battle. He wants us to be fighting it every day, to follow in the steps of Jesus. That's what God is after. It can be frustrating, I know. You try to do what's right. You set out at the beginning in the morning. You say your prayers and you think, I'm going to have a better day. And then things happen. Things happen to us every day. And it is frustrating. But even Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 7 at verse 15. He said about himself, I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. See, there's that personification of sin. It's like it's something living in us. Paul says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Paul understood the battle. He was engaged every day. But he realized there were times where he failed. And so he trusted God to forgive him in his mercy, just like we should too. But the good news is God promises that he can deliver us. 
Because later in Romans 7, after all of that, Paul laments in verse 24, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. See, God doesn't expect us to be totally sinless. What he wants is for us to join Jesus in the war on sin. Be engaged every day. He understands that we can't do it perfectly. And God wants to forgive our sins because he loves us. And he values our willingness to join Jesus in a death like his. In our next session, we're going to look at the power of God at work when he resurrected Jesus and glorified him. Thanks for watching, and may God bless you to walk with Jesus Christ. wondered why Jesus Christ died the way he did? Jesus never sinned. Why was he crucified? He didn't deserve to die. Was God punishing him? Or was God showing us the punishment that sinners deserve? Did God want Jesus to die that way? My name is Jim Stiles, and in this series, we are going to consider, first of all, why did God require Jesus to die? Then we'll look at how Jesus wants us to die with him to sin. And then we'll examine how God resurrected and glorified Jesus. And finally, we'll have a look at the power of Jesus' resurrection for us in our lives. Yes, God did plan. Years ago, before Jesus was ever born, he planned to have Jesus die. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 53 at verse 10 wrote, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Now to us, that seems unfair. Jesus was sinless. He'd done nothing wrong. And our God is completely just and righteous. It's not fair or right to punish Jesus for our sins. Our just God would never do that. And God didn't use Jesus to show us the punishment that sinners deserve either. You see, Jesus' death was never about punishment at all. It was about the love that God has for us and for Jesus too. God was trying to demonstrate his love. In Romans chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, For while we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't require Jesus to die to punish Jesus or us. This kept into, crept into Christianity from the pagans years ago. They thought the gods were angry at them and wanted to punish them. But that's not how our God works. God loves us. He had Jesus die this way so that he could save Jesus and us into his family. Have you ever noticed reading through the Gospels that there's no mention of torture or pain when Jesus died? In Luke 23 at verse 33, we read that when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. The Gospels don't record anything about the torture or the pain that Jesus went through. Why? Because that isn't what saves us. See, all this had been predicted way back in the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3 at verse 21, when Adam and Eve first sinned and they made that first mistake, it says that the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Right from the beginning, God tried to teach that it would take the shedding of blood to cover the sins of Adam and Eve. The Bible consistently illustrated that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. These animals were just showing ahead of time that Jesus really would shed his blood, give his life as he put sin to death. And this would be the basis for our God forgiving our sins and saving us into his family. Jesus was the first sinless human who ever lived. In Romans chapter 3, the apostle Paul looks back through time and he states in verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is until Jesus was born. He was God's son. He had the spirit without measure. He had power over the wind and the storms and diseases. But he had a nature like ours, like mine. He was tempted to sin. So how could God keep him humble and sinless all through his life and drive pride out of his mind? How would God do that? Well, what God did in his plan is he had the crucifixion of Jesus Christ planned all along. And Jesus knew this from the beginning. God raised his son and trained him and taught him that this is where it was all headed. It reminded Jesus every day that there was really nothing good inside him. Only God was good. Do you remember when the rich young ruler came to Jesus in Luke chapter 18 at verse 18? And this ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You see, although Jesus was God's son, he was born of Mary as a mortal child with a nature like ours. He was like us. And he had a nature that liked to sin. 
And the only good in Jesus is what God developed in him as God raised his son and he trained his mind and he taught Jesus Christ to be like God, like his father. And the crucifixion reminded Jesus every day of his mission, his mission to defeat King sin. And that's why it was right for Jesus. See, instead of telling us about the pain Jesus went through and the torture that he was enduring, the Gospels record for us Jesus' victory over sin. The Bible clearly reveals that no matter what people did or said to Jesus, he never retaliated, he didn't threaten or complain. Not like us. Things happen to us and we just say, well, that's not fair. And we complain to God. But Jesus didn't do that. Remember when Judas betrayed him and many people blasphemed Jesus. They spit on him and they hit him and they mocked him. But while they were doing all this to Jesus, he was fighting a war in his mind and himself. He never gave in to sin. So what the Gospels record for us and what God wants us to take from the Bible is the victory that Jesus won over sin, not what they did to him. See, when Jesus died, he declared God right for everything that God had ever done. Jesus told the world that God is right to condemn our race to death after Adam and Eve had sinned. He declared God right for requiring us to fight sin like Jesus did if we want to be in God's family. And even though Jesus never sinned, he publicly showed God is right to expect our obedience, doing his will, even if it means submitting to death. The Bible describes this as Jesus declaring the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul clearly lays this out in his letter to the Romans. In chapter 3, Paul states at verse 21, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation. That's a a place where we can get mercy by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Or as the Greek reads right there, he can be the justifier of the one who has the faith of Jesus. We have to learn to have Jesus' kind of faith. And then God can justify us. See, our loving God and Father wanted to teach everyone how to be saved. This was never about punishment. So he sent his son to show us the way. And then he says, look, here it is. Live like Jesus. Have his kind of faith. Have faith in God and obey him. And fight your temptations to sin. Jesus, he trusted God and we have to as well. 
learn that God is in control and he's full of mercy and kindness. So Jesus' whole life and death was about showing that God was right about his plan to save us. Jesus lived every day as an example for us to follow, to walk in his steps. As Jesus was being arrested and killed, he was showing us all along how to live. Remember that right before his crucifixion, when he has his disciples up in that upper room, Jesus gets down on the ground and he washes their feet. John chapter 13 records this at verse 14. Jesus said, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. See, all along Jesus was trying to show us every day in his way of life, this is how God wants us to live. And his death was no different. This is what it means to walk with Jesus Christ. We have to trust God like Jesus did and believe that God is in control. We have to focus on mercy and justice and self-control like Jesus did. We have to help others and try to bring them salvation like Jesus did. We have to learn to hate sin and join Jesus in his war on sin and fight it daily. Jesus knows what it's like for us. He had our nature, so he let God train him and develop God's mind in his mind so he could battle sin and defeat it. And he finally killed it on the cross. That's what the death of Jesus was all about. Jesus died for everyone. His death was an appeal to everyone who would listen. Come and follow me and come to God. And we have been invited to walk through life with Jesus Christ, to follow in his steps, doing God's will, fighting sin and helping others. In John 12, at verse 31, Jesus said, right at that time, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world, that's king sin, be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. So when Jesus died, God broke the power of sin and death. A sinless man had died. The grave couldn't hold him. God is just. He's not going to leave his dead son in the grave. He had never sinned. So Peter says in Acts chapter 2 at verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus did not deserve to die. He did not die instead of us. He died to show us how to live, to trust God, obey him, and like him, die to sin. The crucifixion was in God's plan all along. Remember Isaiah 53 verse 10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. God used Jesus' crucifixion to demonstrate to us how we can be saved. Live like Jesus. God wants our faith and our obedience. 
He wants us to fight sin. And Jesus needed to be reminded about this every day. He had our nature. And thinking about the crucifixion and what he was going to go through, it kept Jesus humble and sinless, depending on God every day and driving out any temptation he might have to be full of pride. And now God wants us to join with Jesus in the war on sin and to walk with Jesus Christ every day. In our next session, we'll have a look at what it means to die with Jesus to sin. Thank you for watching, and may God bless you to walk with Jesus Christ. Thank you.